where are the low value men? Like, what are what are all the low value men up to during these trying times? Because the high value men, they, I know they're around. They won't shut the fuck up. Low value men, I have not heard a word out of. I'm sorry to think I'm on their side. I think I want one of those. I want a low value man. They don't make podcasts. I haven't seen one low value man make a podcast. Do they not know how to use microphones? Maybe that's a good thing. That's that's hot. All right. I haven't seen. I've never seen a man use a microphone for good. Until now, everybody buckle up. It's low value mail time with your host, Danny Polishchuk. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to an all new episode of Low Value Mail with your host, myself, Danny Polishchuk. We have a great, great show for you tonight. I'm very pumped about this one. The one and only James Corbett is going to be joining us in the first half. And then we have uh, a friend of mine, Daniel Boardman. He's a journalist. If you don't know who James Corbett is, by the way, you should definitely check him out. He's an award winning independent journalist, the creator of thecorbettreport.com, which is an independent. Listen to supported alternative news source. Uh, Daniel Boardman is a senior correspondent for the National Telegraph. He uh, lives up in Canada. He was like our go-to guy on all that india Kalistani stuff. And he is a self-proclaimed relapsed stand-up comedian. He's a good guy. I've known him for quite a long time. Um, we, got, we got a banger. There's a, there's a lot going on. I don't even want to waste too much time. I want to bring James on because we don't have too much time with him. So just going to do this very quickly. Please like and subscribe. You want to support the show, help me get a producer. I know some of you actually want me to never get a producer, but if you want to help me and get ad-free episodes of all the episodes, this, The Bathhouse, all that stuff, uh, patreon.com slash lowvaluemail. Tomorrow night, new episode of The Bathhouse live at 10.30 p.m. And then this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday, if you live anywhere near Saratoga Springs, New York, I will be headlining at the Comedy Works, Saratoga Springs. Uh, Three shows, I think one show Friday, two shows Saturday night. Come check it out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Will be a good time. Um, all right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to waste any more time. So without uh, further ado, let's bring on uh, James. Oh, hey, hey, how's it going, James? Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. And I notice you're on. You're on Patreon and YouTube, two platforms that I have been deplatformed from. So I... you must be doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, don't. I, hopefully, you don't jinx me because. Uh, oh, yeah. I, 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 this this is uh, not this. Well, it's not a new show per se, but I've only had guests coming on the show for like the last uh, just this year. So, uh, but I've had issues. I. I I mean, you'll find this interesting, but I actually got a, uh, I received a defamation notice from the World Economic Forum that did not come with a strike. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And what form did that notice take? From, was that from, it, via it was, YouTube or via directly officially, to- It was officially from YouTube. It came from YouTube. It was said, you've received a defamation notice from the World Economic Forum. Uh, I can send it. It's crazy. And then all, but here's the thing. So all they said was they said that uh, your your episode, you know who Johnny Vedmore is? Have you ever had him? Yeah, yeah. You know Johnny? So he came in, he was talking about Klaus Schwab, all that stuff. Um, and then I received the defamation notice. And then I got, uh, they just said, we're not showing your show in five, five European countries. We're unavailable. That was it. That was the only thing. And I go, that's not so bad. And then five days later, I got a strike on my channel 
for uploading a, I do a comedy podcast at a comedy club here in New York. We were just, it was the day, I've told the story many times, but it was the day the Unabomber died and we were just talking about it. And mm. I got basically a, five days later, I get it. And it was a real, it wasn't, and the main episode didn't get a strike, got a strike. Then, and then they, uh, the strike went away. They remonetized my channel for like some short period of time because this was only like a month ago. And then I just checked recently and it was just like your channel is not eligible for demon for monetization on my main like comedy sketches and all that stuff. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah, but I'm not I'm just uh, wondering how you defame an organization. Like, what yeah, does that even mean? I mean, that's what I'd like to know. And, like, who yeah. is... I, I mean, you probably have, have, you know, know way more about this stuff than I do, but, like, what, do they just have someone, some computer jockey just sitting at the computer all day uh, just kind of looking for people talking shit about them on the internet? I would assume that's more algorithmically policed, but... Yeah, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to think so. I've never heard of someone getting these like a defamation notice from an organization. No, I've never heard of that from YouTube. No, no, no. So I don't I don't know if that's something new on their part. But um, mm. anyways, yeah. What what did you do? You mind if I ask what, what did you get kicked off of? Because you're not even on Twitter, which I actually wanted to talk to you. No, about. yeah, yeah. Were you? No, on I uh, I left Twitter. Yeah, no, you I was left. on Twitter for a period of time. I think I got on 2012 or something like that, and I I took myself off in 2018. In fact, um, I. My last ever tweet was something like, uh, I'm going to get ahead of the curve because at that time, delete Facebook was trending. Yeah. And I can't remember. Maybe it was the Cambridge Analytica scandal or something. There was a bunch of people like deleting their Facebook. And I'm like, I'm going to get ahead of the curve. Hashtag delete Twitter. And then I uh, nuked my own account. And um, so because, just because of their policies for censorship and whatnot? Well, for many different reasons, that would be one of them. Again, that most people weren't even thinking about, didn't care about at that time. That was 2018, man. That was the good times of Twitter, right? right. When it was infested by U.S. Uh, deep state intelligence operatives, as we now know. Um, but hey, you know, whatever. Anyway, it's a good platform for getting the word out, man. Well, actually, <laughs> not only myself, like I, noticing the stats on my own back end, I realized, you know, Twitter doesn't actually drive very much traffic, but I just saw recently that's been vindicated. Actually, Twitter does not drive much traffic. Sure. Like, and you, and you don't, because I actually became um, aware of you due to, I posted your one of your clips, or I reposted someone from some page about the Oklahoma City stuff. Mm. And then yeah. that, so so you have no, not even with the changes at Twitter, would you consider coming back or you're just like that? Oh God, no. Oh yeah. No, I'm not an Elon Musk fan just generally. And yeah. probably not for the reasons other people aren't Elon Musk fans. I, I, I kind of am concerned about the transhumanist technocratic stuff, but um, if people are interested, I did a podcast, Meet Elon Musk, Technocratic Huckster, which mm -hmm. talks about his extremely unlikely backstory, et cetera, and his rise to prominence and, his, uh, oh, he's going to save you guys by doing the exact same kinds of censorship. Um, you know, it's not like Twitter is now a free zone where you can, no, of course, it's still censored. He brings in Yaccarino, who's talking about freedom of speech, not freedom of reach, et cetera, et cetera, all the same talking points. But now he's hailed as some sort of hero as he's trying to build the WeChat of the US. And what's WeChat? Oh, right, that Chinese app that controls every aspect of your life and through which the Chinese government can algorithmically and digitally control you in the coming digital gulag where you so much as jaywalk in China. It's, of course, facial recognition everywhere. It takes the picture. It knows who you are. It automatically deducts that fine from your account through your WeChat. And that's what that's... Elon Musk is trying to bring in. Yay, guys. That's that's the answer. Don't don't think about decentralizing 
this communications platform that is the internet that was built as a decentralized communications platform. No, 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 no. We all have to centralize onto these corporate controlled structures and put our entire identity and all of our content into these structures that can then be deleted at the flip of a switch like YouTube did to my channel of nearly 600,000 subscribers. I bet you, I bet you, when did they do that? Re was that recently? That was, uh, I want to say March of 2021. Anyway, well, a couple uh, of years ago. Now. Yeah, a COVID related thing. Oh yeah, well that was at least that was the uh, the ostensible that was trigger. That. Sure, Actually, sure. the third the funny thing is the third strike. So I had a bunch of strikes and takedowns and blah 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 blah. I knew it was coming from a mile away. In fact, I've been saying since I think 2015. Uh, I did a video. The the revolution will not be YouTubed. So I've been warning people for years and years and years and years. YouTube, this is a bad idea. Do not just uh, great. You follow me on YouTube, great, but. Just make a bookmark of CorbettReport.com because I have a feeling at some point. Anyway, so sure. I've been talking about this for years and years, but obviously I saw it coming. I knew the strikes were coming. I knew I had two strikes, but I made the conscious commitment. I am not going to self-censor. I'm not going to put up little teaser videos and say, hey guys, get the, get the full video over here. I'm going to post exactly what I want to post. I'm going to say exactly what I want to say, and I'm going to let the world see, okay, this is what they're going to do to me. And so I knew it was coming. And, but the thing that I didn't expect was the third strike was a video talking about the philosophy of science because, <laughs> oh my God, you can't be reading, you know, Karl Popper and, and, and you know, reading dry philosophical treatises on your podcast in this day and age, because yeah. that goes against the WHO and the CDC or whatever. That, that was essentially at that point, you just had a bullseye on you and they just picked oh, whatever for sure. video. And there's absolutely that, that was yeah. that. Well, um, yeah. and you're on Rumble right now. Do you, do you worry that Rumble, as a publicly traded company, is going to start having some sort of pressure and influence put on them to essentially go hey, against I, their? Well, you know me, conspiracy realist. <laughs> uh, I I kind of worry about Peter Thiel and what side he's really on, and I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. And the fact that he's behind Rumble certainly gives me pause for thought, and and that on that alone sure. and i've heard from other creators like ryan christian last american vagabond talking about problems he's had with rumble and monetization and what have you so i i don't trust i don't trust any of these platforms and i'm on them in the exact same way and for the exact same reason that i created my youtube account in 2007 and i remember that actually doing that because that was like a moment for me when i created a youtube account because i i had the conscious thought i would never do this in a million years like signing up to create an account with this YouTube. Why would I do this? But it was because I was starting my website and I was starting to produce this information. I'm like, this information is important. People need to hear it. For the time being, this enemy information weapon system is open because <laughs> they're trying to draw everybody into the yeah. web. The web. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna reach in. I'm gonna use this for all it's worth. I'm gonna spread as much information as I can for as long as I can. But I had, from the very moment I signed up, I had in the back of my head, this is not going to last forever. So I better use this for what I can while I can. And that's kind of the approach I take to pretty much any any uh, outside platform that I'm signing up for, sure, whatever. Sure. It's not an endorsement by me. Yes, I love Rumble and everything it stands for. Or no, of course not. But I am using it to get information out to people who are there and who need to hear this information. But it brings me back to the, in, the, the sort of larger long-term op that has been in place for decades really now to structure to take this decentralized communications platform and 
try to control it and put everyone into centralized boxes. And one brilliant example of that, if you need it, is RSS, really simple syndication. Never heard of it? That's because they don't want you to know about it. But it was a brilliant solution. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, I want to I wanna follow this guy. I, I like this guy. I want to know what this guy's saying. I want to know what this guy's saying. You can go to their website because everyone used to have, at the very least, a, like a blogger platform or something. Sure. But at any rate, hopefully go to a website, sign up to their RSS. There's no middleman. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There's no third party in between that transaction. That person has an RSS feed. It sends out the information. Hey, there's a new episode. Your feed reader gets it and downloads the episode. As long as you have internet connection between those two points, there's no third party in between stopping that from taking place. There's no corporation that's going to come along and delete your feed or whatever. No, I host my feed on my own server. That's the way the internet was meant to work. That was deliberately broken. And I watched that happening because back in the day, everyone had RSS feeds and that was the way that you sent out your podcast. Um, And... Uh, there were various apps to make it easier because, oh my God, code, XML, oh, how do oh. I do this? Ah, whatever. <laughs> so you got to sign up to a corporation that's going to, don't worry, we'll take your feed and we'll make it nice and readable and send it out in all the formats. And there was a, uh, 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 one called FeedBurner that I was using. And FeedBurner was great and it functioned well. And then it was taken over by Google. And Google literally let it die. It stopped upgrading it, stopped doing anything to it, sort of Just put so it over Just so they could have the their own thing, essentially. Then they discontinued it altogether. So it doesn't even exist anymore, I think. At any yeah. rate, it, yeah. They, yeah. So they took so RSS running... and deliberately canned it so that everyone will go to the social media platforms so you, and, and you, put you their literally, yeah. structure. And you literally just have your own server. You live in Japan, right? But, yep. but you're from Canada. There's an all Canadian episode tonight, actually. Me, you, and the next guy. Where where are you from in Canada? Uh, Calgary. Calgary, Alberta. Nice. Me and the next guy are both uh, from around Toronto area. So I want to talk about what's going on because we don't have you for that much time. Plus, a lot of people have questions for you. So we're going to open the phone lines uh, shortly. But um, okay, do you track? Do you follow Twitter? Like, do you from a distance, not with an account, do you look what's going on on Twitter? And like, at what point do you think that that's kind of the top of the funnel in terms of how information, like, it seems like it's almost right now, it's like Telegram, Twitter, and then like Mm. eight steps Mm. down is like CNN. Right. Yeah. Like, Do do you you look at it in that sense? Uh, I... I have. I've, I dip my toe in there sometimes. And uh, for example, a few months ago, I just dipped my toe into Twitter sort of randomly. And I can't even remember which account I was on, but I saw someone retweet tweeting Joe Rogan or something. And I'm like, what's what's this about? And it was the uh, the Peter Hotez thing where yeah, he yeah. had Peter Hotez on his podcast. And like, why won't you debate? Or yeah, RFK Jr. Yeah, it was RFK. And, and uh, yeah, exactly. And so there, the, I so I found that out just because I kind of randomly dipped my toe into Twitter. Um, these days, it's harder and harder to do that because now I find uh, I've tried to check someone's Twitter 
profile and it won't show you all their tweets anymore at least without not if you're not signed in it'll show yeah, like yeah. select ones from 2017 or something i'm like what so it's weird um, so then the i guess you, I, I imagine you must be tracking uh because obviously you've covered 9-11 stuff like that mm-hmm. it you know it seems like there's a possibility that we're watching something similar unravel in real time Safe to say, I don't know. If, so, where do you where do you get your information from then? If if because I, I use I feel like Twitter is kind of the you know the source, but uh, I mean, where else do you go? Uh, well, I, I use RSS feeds actually, RSS feeds. and okay. I've, I've talked about this on my Solutions Watch podcast, really simple syndication um, uh, on Solutions Watch, where I I have a bunch of feeds from a bunch of different news sites, and so I go through a hundred to two hundred articles a day headline form and then I'll dive into the ones that I think are more important but yeah I I go that way and I know that's kind of surprising to people like oh my god but you th- those articles are more than 17 seconds old like how how can you possibly live without knowing what's up to the second trending on Twitter um but actually it's funny once you step off of Twitter as I did as they say 5 years ago now you start to notice the people who are on Twitter really think that the Twitter conversation is important and that what what's trending on Twitter is is the news yeah. in the same way that people who watch CNN or Fox thinks that is the news. And of course, that's like, why aren't you talking about what the people on Fox are talking about? Why aren't you talking about what the people on Twitter are talking about? It's just it's interesting once you step out of that bubble to see the way the bubble affects how people perceive the world. Yeah. And it's I mean, it is an interesting point because, you know, you're saying that you kind of like there is a benefit almost to not getting like something you know all these opinions the moment that they happen because uh, for example today there's this bombing of this hospital and the whole thing is all over the place right like i mean you're almost doing yourself a a favor because it's like twitter is becoming like pretty toxic place for the most part but like just the discourse around it and then you know the, the you know people who are more conspiratorial minded are definitely you know things are definitely kicking into gear in that sense because you know they have the bombing and then people are like you know all the people who are basically siding with the palestinians are like it was israelis the other side says it was it was hamas then like the israeli government comes out they said like it was their own rocket and then but then there was like um um a tweet from one of the people who works with the israeli government who's basically saying like uh the IDF did the strike and then deleted the tweet. It was like, it, the whole thing's crazy. Like, it's very much like the fog of war. So you're kind of very much thinking like, you know, I'm just going to let this marinate for a minute and and see. Yeah, uh, I, I really don't need to hear every single opinion of every single person on the internet as it's happening. And especially it, with situations like this where, yeah, what do what do I, a Canadian in Japan, what, what possible way do I have of vetting absolutely anything about that story that's taking place right now i can't even confirm there was an explosion at the hospital i'm you know i don't i'm not quite at that level of radical skepticism yet but at any rate i certainly have absolutely no way of verifying or vetting whose rocket was hitting what and in what way all it is is just opinions and yay great i can keep track of the opinions in real time as they happen or i can read articles that kind of compile that for me right you know i i know which i'd prefer to do and so do you think there's like because it seems and i can't tell how important because part of me is like there does seem to be an information war definitely like when you go like the israeli government's getting community notes on them and like and then there was one that disappeared there was one i don't know if you you saw that there was one community note on the official israel 
uh, Twitter page, and then it, it, they received a community note, but then it just did the community note. It had like 650,000 uh, notes on it or whatever, like um, like people like approve it, and then it disappeared. And like th- there's just like uh, at what point does the consen- uh, not a consensus, but like does that not matter? Like do you, are you of the opinion that governments and the people who are in charge, they're just going to do what they're going to do? And this stuff does not matter. Yeah. Well, okay. For, I guess the first part of this is okay. Once we understand and realize and consciously internalize the fact there is an information war and that everyone is engaged in it. And that's explicitly what this is all about, essentially. I mean, why does Hamas or Palestinian Authority or anyone try to communicate about what's happening? Why does the Israeli government try to communicate about what's happening? Why is everyone trying to put their opinions out there? It's because everyone is engaged in the battle for your mind and what you think and believe. And once we get to that point, yes, of course, every government and every institution in the world is trying to influence you. And once once we recognize that, of course, what is the follow-on understanding that we can come to immediately? Oh, that's because what I think and what I believe is important. So... Uh, I think one of the most important things we can preserve is our our intellectual sovereignty, our, our cognitive sovereignty. Uh, what What is it that I believe and why do I believe that? And once we start to guard that, I think we can at least start to uh, appreciate what these conversations are about and the way that they're influenced. And why would the richest man in the world i don't quite believe the forbes rich list but anyway no, one of the richest i mean the, the richest the, the, i've always joked about it but i'm like the top 100 aren't on any kind of list yeah exactly <laughs> right lists. exactly but anyway the richest man in the world why would he be interested in buying twitter i mean because it is absolutely and incredibly it's more than just advertising revenue no this is about controlling public conversation and don't worry guys i'm putting linda yakarina in as ceo and we're going to start disappearing community notes and 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 working with saudi arabia and india and others to silence that political activists etc etc but don't worry guys i'm the free speech guy again this is part of the information war for sure yeah and are you so are you concerned about uh because it seems like you know we have war currently wars on multiple fronts i've seen some cases to be made that uh china probably you know there's been the rumblings about the china taiwan seems like if that were to kick off we would be uh, are you concerned about uh some sort of world war three scenario like like actually though like uh yeah yeah and absolutely you, and, and uh, i've talked any- about this a lot um so people can search world war three on my site and they'll find a bunch of things i've said on it over the years my second ever podcast episode from july of 2007 was world war three starts in iran and I think that's probably still, uh, you know, a pretty good assessment. Um, at any rate, it certainly could start in Iran, but it could start in many, many different places at this point. And uh, obviously sitting here in the Asia Pacific, yeah, you better believe China and Taiwan is something that's on my mind. And um, I look at the the Rand Corporation hosting simulated television exercise war games on MSNBC about what if China took Taiwan and how would quickly would that escalate to nuclear war and who would win the nuclear, like that kind of craziness that is now being fed. Yeah, that's, that's part of this. Ukraine and Russia is part of this. What's happening right now in Israel and Gaza is part of this. And it's one of those things where it's not just one particular thing in one particular place. It's going to be all sorts of different things. And I've, as I've pointed out recently, it, it could happen, um, in a sense, the entire world could change in a 24-hour period if, I mean, 
imagine Israel tries to go into Gaza and Iran ends up getting involved in that. And then, of course, that brings in the U.S. And then Ukraine and Russia, maybe a nuclear exchange. And then China takes Taiwan and everything happening all at once, completely everything off the table. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the way I think it's going to happen, but it could happen. But it could and there are so many different possibilities in the air right now that uh, at any rate, yeah, I think there's there's cause for concern, shall we say. Yeah. And do you have any kind of prognostication of how you think this might uh, shake out? Because there are, speaking of Iran, like there are right now due to specifically this hospital bombing, because obviously the information that was flowing out was coming out kind of both sides. A lot of people obviously just were like, of course the Israelis bombed the hospital, regardless of if that did happen. And I'm not, I don't know if what's the case. Cause I'm sure like it's been changing all day and it, you know, it could change next week or whatever, but like there are these protests all over the middle East right now. All these countries are protesting. Do you think it's something like the United States needs to be pulled into to really kind of like throw some gasoline on it? Yeah. Well, it, that certainly would throw the gasoline on it. Wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, there are so many different ways this could play out, and my opinion is worth no more than anyone else who's sitting halfway around the world watching these events from afar, so take it for what it's worth. I think it's interesting that we haven't had the ground invasion of Gaza yet, which is beginning to throw into question whether that is going to happen. Because they said it was weather. Obviously that... they, said it was the, they said over the weekend that it was the weather, that they were yeah, planning it. they said and then... weather... But now here we're in what two? Well, it's Wednesday here in Japan. Yeah, and it's still it's Tuesday night here. Yeah, still yeah. waiting. So. Okay, and one last thing, and then we're going to open the phone lines. And uh, I appreciate you again coming on the show. This is very cool. But so, do you have any thoughts? Because about um, just how this whole thing kicked off? Because there's a lot of conspiracies, essentially theories, whatnot. Nothing's proven, and I don't think we will. Usually, with this stuff, you don't get the answers until after right like you don't get the answers until 10 years later when they yeah. you know like you don't if get, that if that right but we're very much in the fog of war yeah. right now yeah so sure. i think i think the best best thing you can do is just kind of uh you know maybe use some sort of historical situations to maybe like map that out for here but like do you do you do you have any thoughts of how israel just well, look, I am a card-carrying conspiracy theorist. I've been talking about 9-11 truth, etc. since day one. So um, let me, well, since day one of my podcast, not sure. since day one how, of my Sorry to cut you off, but how quickly did you get on the 9-11 stuff after? I, uh, I'm ashamed to say that for five full years, I wouldn't even countenance the idea of a conspiracy around 9-11. I, and, and this comes from someone who my whole life I've understood, you know, it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone. The government lies about things, etc. But 9-11, uh, you know, that's a step too far. So it was five years. It, was, it wasn't until, as I understand it now, I didn't even understand it at the time. It was all of the events surrounding the fifth anniversary and it got C-SPAN coverage and there was a lot of talk and, and that sort of filtered through to me here in Japan. Um, I was just... I was just discovering YouTube at that time because I just moved into a new apartment that came with an internet connection. So I was playing around in YouTube and getting all of these related videos about 9-11 Truth. And that's when I started to go click on things like, oh my God, this is so stupid. And a lot of it was stupid, but there'd, there'd be one or two things with a little nugget in there that 
that can't be true really is that really true and i'd go and research oh yeah oh operation northwoods oh that really was a thing oh i didn't know about that oh oh french intelligence did say osama bin laden was meeting with cia and in a hospital in july 2001 well that's weird and blah 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 and you know the snowball rolling downhill so that's how i got into this so you know i have my questions about every received narrative that we're asked to believe and when they call it israel's 9-11 that sets off some some different connotations in my head than it would in yeah. someone who believes the, uh, the the official 9-11 story hook, line, and sinker. But similarly to 9-11, that whatever you believe about what really happened there, the story of the penetration of America's defenses on that day uh, stinks to high heaven, shall we say. Um, and I've gone through this in deep dive documentary format. People can look that up on my site if they want the details of that. But similarly in this situation... The, thank you, GorbaReport.com. And Great yes, time. all of my all of my media is available 100% for free. You don't have to be a member or anything. Please use Great, it as a Great resource. newsletter as well. Thank you. Um, so yes, with regards to this one as well, uh, not only is it, you know, the little things have trickled out. Egypt did warn something was coming, but Israel didn't take it seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's the suspicious, weird movements of this, supernova festival thing to move it closer and and uh but beyond that um people should check out um Efrat Fenigsen who was a uh, former IDF she worked on the border um uh was recently on the Brett Weinstein podcast I believe okay. and she was talking about the uh how completely impossible essentially what happened was she was working 25 years ago before internet so she was literally manning the phone um, if any any breach or any suspected potential breach of the border wall happened, she'd get the phone call and to check it out and blah, blah, blah. And she said, literally, a cat moving along the fence could trigger the, the warning, right? I mean, and we'd be all over that. But in this case, it wasn't one or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight. No, it's 15 simultaneous breaches of the border, people coming in paragliding on motorcycles and all of this insanity uh killing people um taking hostages running around for hours they had somehow had color-coded maps of not only just general israeli installations and idf facilities but literally the idf intelligence hub and all of this and they knew exactly where to go and who to strike and and dragging people out in their pajamas and all of this running around for hours and hours and hours with no security insight no idf it's just impossible it's unthinkable that it happened the way that they're saying it happened and even people in israel are now starting to to wonder what yeah. to what extent was there some sort of collaboration going and on. I, I also was thinking too because obviously it happened over a holiday and everybody's like you know israel they to, uh, people trying to attack israel on holidays but like you would think that obviously israel knows that and so they would even be on higher defenses on holidays, not Yeah, what's lower that war defenses. called again? Oh, yeah, the Yom Kippur War. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I'm right, saying, though, yeah. right? Like, you'd think they're like, they would have been on a higher alert and they even maybe mm -hmm. step off the gas a little bit. So then I guess the question is, why? Like, are they trying to destabilize the Middle East? Are they just trying to finally yeah. just take Gaza back? once and yeah. for all the action is in the reaction so that as you say we won't know the story of this until sometime you know until we see the way things play out because what is the real uh, again from from okay let's take this from the perspective it was total organic hamas attack of these dastardly terrorists and they did this incredible like the the biggest breach of the, the border in in israeli history and all of this 
And so they go in, they kill a bunch of people, they take some hostages, and then they go back to Gaza and sit and wait to be bombed to smithereens. Like, what was what was the real military strategy here? What was the objective? What did this actually accomplish in terms of... Uh, that makes no sense. Yeah. But then from the other side, now, the longer that this... Uh, don't worry, guys, we're going in ground invasion, boots on the ground, we're going to clean out, we're going to... And the longer they delay that, the question on my again comes for me. Well, what is what is Israel doing with this? And if this was a collaborationist, some sort of false flag, whatever, why? What was the ultimate objective of this? Some things we can already see, one of which was Netanyahu, for people who don't know, was in incredible political jeopardy um, for yeah, months and to, months and months. Tried to change the constitution, human. right? Yes, yes. Trying to change the way that the uh, the high court functioned and um, its relationship to the Israeli parliament. And there was huge protests, masses of people protesting. And in fact, even if a couple of months ago they were, they were talking about IDF reservists and others were literally saying we're threatening to to walk out and to stop serving um, because they could they 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 absolutely couldn't deal with the changes that Netanyahu was proposing, etc., I'm not hearing a lot of people protesting and what have you at this moment, right? right. Everyone. Well, I mean, what what the flag, br- yeah, what brings the whole country together unifies them like exactly what happened exactly in as on 9/11, yeah. where I don't know if you remember, but pre 9/11, George Bush was not the most popular no. human being alive. No, he was not. The day right. after 9/11, he was the most popular person <laughs> in America. That's for sure. All right, we got to call one moment, please. Uh, hold on there, James. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Yo. Hello. One moment, please. Hey. Hey. Uh, hold on a second. All right. Dude, uh, both you all are the man. Um, James, James you hear him? Corbett. Yeah, yep. you're, on, you're on with James. Best Go ahead. Case, James Corbett, you're the man. Best case for the Palestinians versus worst case for the Palestinians. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. Thanks, sir. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, worst case is essentially ethnic cleansing, genocide. Um, essentially the, the bombing of Gaza to smithereens, displacement of who knows how many people and the killing of many others, um, that, you know, that, that seems to be pretty clear what their worst case scenario is. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think we can imagine what the worst case is the best case. Yeah. In this case, uh, I think the best case involves not something about the sort of military strategy of what's happening on the ground, but about public opinion and, that is something that over the past several years, I think we have seen the, the needle moving of public opinion starting to realize that, oh, you know, Israel, maybe maybe they're lying about certain things. Maybe they're not quite being, maybe they're not the, the, the people we should be supporting 100% no matter what in this conflict. And we started to see that, for example, in 2014, uh, it was an Operation Cast Lead, et cetera. Some of the atrocities and war crimes that were being committed were actually being or even being televised, let alone talked about on the internet, et cetera. And I think we have seen public opinion moving, but until widespread public opinion is on the side of the Palestinians, well, if that were to happen, and if the the complete and total establishment media blockade of any position that would in any way be favorable to the Palestinians, unless and until that blockade is broken, I'm not sure how this would happen, but I think a best case scenario would be public opinion, generally speaking, to be moved closer to the side of the Palestinians, that would be, I think, the best case scenario, because then it's not about the military strategy, it's about the political context. And at the very least, Israel wouldn't be able to essentially keep people in an open air prison and then ethnically genocide, uh, cleanse them. Yeah. 
Um, okay, we got another call. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, my name is Lyric. Hey, I'm calling from uh, Hawaii. Yeah, just one second. And all right, you're on. Go ahead. Hello. Hey. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. We just can you hear me? We cool. can hear you. Go ahead. I'm curious what you guys think the uh, U.S. involvement should be in this kind of conflict, uh, considering the other ventures they have going on in this moment. Uh, James, go ahead. Uh, my position is, yeah, what, uh, well, let me put it from my personal position. I'm a Canadian in Japan. What should be my position in this? And the fact that that even needs to be thought about is itself part of the problem. I mean, why on earth should... Uh, people halfway around the planet have some sort of personal stake in what is going on on that other side of the planet. Now, I, as we've been talking about, of course, this could mushroom out or mushroom cloud out and become a much, <laughs> much bigger issue very quickly, right? So that obviously, and and because we live in the world that we live in, in which global Pax Americana is kept at the barrel of the American gun, then obviously, you know, America does have some role to play in what's happening in the Middle East, etc. But there's something fundamentally wrong with that whole concept and that system, which is, of course, 180 degrees completely opposite to everything that at least the founding fathers of the U.S. were talking about a couple hundred years ago. No entangling alliances. Why would we get involved in some European conflict or what have you? No, we're American. We'll trade with everyone. And we'll have our friends, but it doesn't mean we're going to get involved in other people's battles. Well, how is it? How has it changed so completely that it's now literally the exact opposite? And America has to be involved in everything. That is yeah. kind of where my mind. I, and I'm very curious, like if if we're any lessons were learned from you know the war in Iraq, in this mm. you know the sense that like I don't know what was the final figure for how many trillions of dollars was spent with essentially nothing to show for it. Yeah. You know, and again, and, and whatever that final figure was, by the way, it's wrong because, <laughs> as we know, the uh, the Pentagon cannot balance its books and will not balance its books. So, anyway, right? Yeah, they don't even. It's not even a requirement of them. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think actually it is illegally required. They've literally been illegally breaking the law by not balancing their books. Well, I guess who who? Yeah, I guess who? Yeah, who's gonna laws who's gonna arrest the Pentagon, the, the Secretary of Defense? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um. All right. Yeah. One moment. We got another call here. Hello, thanks for calling the Low Valley Mail. Can you turn down your uh, speakers, please? Yep, absolutely. One moment. And where does this thing go? All right, you're on. Go ahead. You're on with James. Go ahead. Well, uh, hey, Danny. Hey, James. Uh, first off, thanks for everything that you guys do. Um, so one little other conspiracy I want to throw in was the whole uh, Israeli-Palestinian Gaza attack was the whole festival. And the fact that the festival... Um, was right on the border. And from my understanding, the location was set up or like announced the day before. So it seems probable that potentially that Egypt warned Israel or some of the Israeli intelligence that this attack was going to happen. And then they purposely set up that festival there just to get kind of more I mean, the, people alive. I, I will killed say, yeah. And kind of create that. Like the logistics of moving a music festival, like I, you don't just do that in a day. Like, 
I don't know if there were stages and whatnot. I have to assume so, but like you know, any sort of music festival, and that was uh, the attack happened. Yeah, in, in oh, it's early like, oh, morning. sorry, did we did we call this Woodstock? Because now we're gonna move it to San Francisco. Anyway, see you yeah, guys yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Like that just yeah. seems hard. Like I remember yeah. uh, a lot of people were were trying to say that the. Uh, that like the Israelis there are not Israelis. There were some Jewish people in the Al-Aqsa mosque on the Thursday and that this was retribution for what happened on the Thursday. I'm like, I don't think they move that quickly where like mm. they get dissed on the Thursday and they're paragliding in on Friday. I don't know. As far as I understand though, that was like the music festival was like a peace kind of thing. So I think, uh, I mean, unfortunately I think they yeah. had it purposely where, where, where close we- to the border of, of Gaza. Yeah, or, or this might have been like the conspiracy part of a planned way earlier, potentially. Potentially. Um, it, uh, uh, yeah, James, I had a question though for James. Um, James, so I'm, I'm Russian originally, although now I live in Florida, and just wanted to get your opinion on Putin and whether or not um, you think that him and China are actually acting in the best interest of their countries or whether they're all kind of colluding with the WF and just general globalist world capital that they're all kind of in it together and just kind of play more an adversarial role in the whole play. Yeah. Thank you for the question. For people who are interested in this, please check out the work that I've done on BRICS, on China, on Putin specifically, on Russia generally, and that I will continue doing. Um, Essentially, long story short, uh, I don't buy into this BRICS multipolar world savior is going to save us from the the big, big bad American empire narrative. I think that they are absolutely... Um, in lockstep with the global agenda that is playing out right now. And one perfect example of that is if you are upset about what the Western governments were doing to their populations in the name of the scandemic and all of the lockdowns and restrictions and all of that, and the mandates and what have you, it was happening in Russia, it was happening in China, um, people being locked in their homes, etc., and digitally and otherwise. Or if you're concerned about social credit scores, well, where are we getting that idea? Oh, that's right, China. Or if you're concerned about the central bank digital currency, not only, of course, China has the digital yuan now, but hey, guys, Russia just rolled out, rolled out the digital ruble and they're putting in the biometric scanners for schools and for uh, bank accounts and what have you. They have a digital passport that's coming. They're talking about the WHO and its important rules. China, uh, Putin and Xi are having conferences where they're talking about the need to accelerate the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development 2030 agenda agenda, et cetera, et cetera. Every yeah. single part of the broader uh, uh, global agenda is happening in Russia and China as well. Yeah. And I didn't mean that to say that he was like a savior or anything like that. It was more of just whether or not they're actually acting like a, a true adversaries to the system or actually just yeah. part of the system playing yeah. a role. So it, it seems like it's the latter. Okay. Well, well, thank you. Hey, again, I really appreciate what you guys both do. So best of luck. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Um, all right, let's take another call here. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, gentlemen, I'm back. I got another question for oh, okay. both of you. Uh, oh, well, lucky, lucky you. Hold, hold on one second. Okay, you're on with James. Go ahead. Hello? Hey, yo, uh, favorite family guy character. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Favorite family guy? I don't know. Uh, yeah, um, sure. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know their names that well. But, um, okay, here's the thing. I never liked Family Guy from back in the day, and I had friends who thought it was awesome, and I tried watching, and I thought it was stupid. But um, 
I did see a clip of uh, where he's listening to the radio and it's like a British broadcast and it's uh, it's making fun of the sort of the British and the cricket score was 72 to naught and blah, blah, blah. And the, the at the time, at the ch- chime, the time will be 23 o'clock or whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it was, I, I thought that was hilarious. That was extremely funny. So I, I can't say a character, but that's, that's the clip. That I- okay, let's take another call here. I think I know who this is. Hello, next call in low value mail. Hello. Hey there. You're on with James. Hello. All right. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. What's up? I was about to hang up on you. Awesome. Hey, format. How are you doing, Danny? Good. How are you? Great, great. All right. So, one second. Let me let me open something up. I I prepared for this. Uh, You're prepared for this. Not very low value of you, but that's fine. I'm very much, very much prepared for this, but my note taking app is okay. Okay. We're good. We're good to go. We only have limited time format. (laughs) All right. Um, yeah. So I was just going to say, Danny, I've told you many times before that you invite some of the best guests ever. Well, this one is the best period. It's all downhill from here, Danny, unless James comes back where you invite Ryan Christian, of the last American vagabond, James is a very rare breed of journalist. So I have a question for James, but first I just want to introduce the men properly. There are alternative news sources, and then there's James Corbett, or as I like to call him, the source, because he provides more sources than anyone ever has in the history of journalism, and he inspired much of the truth community to be completely OCD about citing sources. If I told you so, was a person, it would be James Corbett. When any truth comes out. What are you asking him out on a date or something? Let's go with the question yeah. format. The checks in don't worry. I'm trying to introduce your guest. I know he's a little uh, too I already introduced him. Say what? I already we only have him for fifteen more minutes format. Let's go. All right, all right, all right, all right. When any truth comes out, it first has James if it's factual enough. When Seymour Hirsch writes an article, he thinks to himself, damn, that was good, but not James Corbett's good. All right, Format, you're on the clock here, dude. Okay, what's your question for James? Is there a question? I I love this, but let's get to the question. You're making him blush. Come on. Um, Yeah, I'll skip a whole paragraph here. Uh, I hope so. Let's go. I was was, um, uh, a while ago, uh, you... There was a roundtable talk between you and the the gang of a whole bunch of folk, and uh, Sibel Edmonds was among them. And she said something that bothered me uh, to this day. Uh, basically, it was something along the lines of mainstream media is bad. Uh, we shouldn't go on mainstream media. I won't. Uh, I don't even go on RT these days, even if they invite me. And then everyone at the round table sort of agreed. And I felt like for a long time that your uh, your position, or like like you've actively been not taking opportunities to appear on any sort of like big mainstream show. And considering that all it took for me was uh, just like a clip of you, like 10 years ago, in like 2010, I saw just a clip of you on RT. Uh, and it set my life on a whole like path towards like consistency and truth and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, so what's the question format here? So the question is why, why don't I 
take those opportunities or something? Yeah. Is that the question? Why doesn't he yeah, yeah. go on these? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's a good question, and it is an important question. You bring up some important points. Um, one of which is that it's not that I'm actively turning. It's not like BBC or CNN is calling me up every day. I'm not actively turning things down. Um, but I do. I, I do have a, a sort of principle in mind for, especially an establishment media interview that is going 100% is going to be a hit piece. Um, my, I, I would accept such a uh, an invitation on the condition that I can record the complete conversation on my side and release it myself uh, completely unedited. Then I would engage in such a hit piece sort of mission so that people can see exactly what I said in the context in which I said it and the way they were trying to set me up. Um, no one's ever taken me up on that. And actually, I was just cleaning out my inbox because I have 14 years of <laughs> emails now that I, I should get to that email and it gets uh, <laughs> shut down. Um, I was just cleaning out, I think, 2020 something like that uh, the other day. And uh, I saw an email from um, a journalist, uh, I think it was Vanity Fair, I want to say, saying, you know, I want to talk to you about 9-11. And I said, sure, awesome, great. Just on the condition that I get to record the conversation and release it to my audience. And he's like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> so I'm like, well, then I'm not going to talk to you. Uh, and that's because, audio? Again, that's just on the phone? Yeah, that was, I was, well, I, I didn't specify, Zoom but I would have been yeah. happy with just audio or whatever. But anyway. He wouldn't, he wouldn't go for it. So there's a reason why they won't go for something like that. Anyway, let me put it out there for the BBC, CNN, whatever people out there. I absolutely will do it if, as long as you uh, let me record it on my side. And the reason I say that is because one of a really, really powerful thing that I saw years ago, and people will get all riled up about this. Alex Jones, I remember, was being interviewed on CNN, I want to say. And um, it was one of those deals where, um, you know, they they took him to the studio and they were interviewing him and they were recording this and they were getting it, it down for some little news package they were making or something. But he had his cameraman there that recorded his side of the conversation. And the 10 minutes or so that he was talking, it was it was great in the way that Alex Jones can be great. He was on this bombastic tirade about you murderers at CNN have the blood of a million Iraqi children on your hands because of your uh, collaboration with the, the lies of nine of world uh, the weapons of mass destruction, blah, blah, blah. He was really, really on a roll and calling him out. You know, guess how much of that they used in the actual right. interview? Of course, nah. absolutely none. But I got to see it and it was truly, it was really impactful to see him shoving it right in their face. And so that's, I would love to duplicate that. I would love to have the opportunity to do something like that. You almost have to need, you need like an alter ego where they think they're bringing on somebody else and then you yeah. go in there kind of yeah. trick them. But I've thought about that too with regards to the work that I do. Hey, if I just, if I put, you know, sexy bikini babes on the cover of images for my videos, I'll get more clicks, that kind of stuff. I mean, you can go down that rabbit hole and chase the, the clicks and what have you, but to the extent that you bring in lies in order to tell people the truth. Of course. I think you're starting to sell well, your soul. And I'm wondering about the damage. Like, you know, the mainstream media has obviously taken a major credibility hit in the last, uh, say, seven, eight years, something like that. But it seems like it's since Trump basically came around. Like, uh, if like it seems really like when he, he woke something up in a lot of people with the whole fake news thing, because I think people didn't quite, on a larger scale... Uh, realize like the extent of it, but they're going to have a difficult time navigating this because nobody believes anything they say anymore. 
Like, yeah. especially if, you know, the a government's trying to put puts forth something and they're trying to use the mainstream media and you're like, people don't believe that shit anymore. Um, all right, we got another call. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Stephanie from Texas. One moment, please. And you are on Stephanie from Texas. Go ahead. Awesome. I'll make it super quick. Um, I couldn't think of anything really awesome to ask. So I was wondering if you had any insight on what the end game is about all the alien disclosure nonsense. Mm. Good question. Uh, I can only speculate like everyone else. But uh, if people want sort of a more detailed answer, I did a a how to fake an alien invasion podcast several years ago that I think is probably relevant um, because it's been floated and talked about for many years. uh, The the idea, well, if there was some sort of threat from the outside, well, we'd all have to come together under global government, blah, blah, blah. So people could see how that could be used. And there have been people that um, there was a Canadian journalist, um, a, a French Canadian who talked about this decades ago and Operation Bluebeam, etc. And the more you look into that, the more kind of sketchy the documentation on that is. But at any rate, the idea is there that you know, this could all be some sort of hoax. The one thing exactly is what you were saying there just a second ago, Danny. The one thing is whatever the government is saying and whatever the establishment media is saying, I I automatically disbelieve by default. It doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong. It just means I'm not going to believe it just because they're saying it. Right. And in this case, specifically with disclosure, whatever kind of disclosure is coming through the establishment media and government <laughs> whistleblowing programs you better believe there's some sort of agenda to it. So I am highly skeptical about this. And they really did have a monopoly awesome. on I that for that, some time. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead and go, yeah. go ahead, caller. I just want to say one thing real quick. Um, I'm actually going to use um, like the documentaries as uh, jump off points on my homeschooling, homeschooling my son and my daughter. And I really love all the sources and I just really love what you do. And I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for taking my call. And I love you too, Danny. You're, Th- you rock. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Thank you so much. That is the most gratifying feedback I can get because this is why I do it. And the idea that people are helping to spread this to the next generation, which is probably the most important thing people can be doing with information. As old, graying adults, we can get uh, very cynical and jaded about all of this process. But the the real point is for the the battle for the minds of the children who are growing up in this world. And so I love to hear that. Um, Okay, we got another call. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey. Hello. Hey, you got a really bad connection there, man. Hello? Can you hear me better? Uh, not really. A little bit? Can you hear me, James? Uh, maybe. Can you hear Give me now? A shot. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I can hear you, too. I'd like to spend the last few moments of James' time just reading his Wikipedia page from birth on. Is that all right? Uh, no, I don't want to do that. Do you have a question for him? Kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, okay. Yep. Um, <laughs> I feel like uh, that was a joke. I, I have some That's mild joke. autists who watch this show, so you never know when they're serious. So, <laughs> And mild is generous. Given what we've yeah. heard tonight, I thought it might be true. So there you go. Yeah, it is, right, man. Right. Yeah, it is. No, I was joking. Um, I feel like maybe the last five maybe last 10 years it's been a lot of social media um warfare going on how what do you think is the best way to navigate just all the different things i mean referencing like ryan long sketches about the, the dead babies and you know my wife sending me stuff every day i'm like check this out check this out how do you filter through all that um everyone's sharing messages on 
what side they're supporting and obviously a lot of it's contradicting themselves but how do you how do you uh, navigate social media warfare mm. yeah maybe you're asking the wrong person because essentially i've retreated from it uh i just don't want to take part in it and i do that for a number of reasons one is that i've never been interested in getting in online arguments and debates with people in forums and what have you i've just never been interested in that so getting into social media conversations and debates and what have you has never interested me. I've never found, I, I don't go online to find friends. I'm not looking for, you know, social validation online or anything like that. So I've never been interested in the things that people are generally interested in social media for. And I certainly could care, could not care less. Actually, I'll say could care less just to piss off the grammar Nazis, but <laughs> I, I could care less about Instagram feeds and, you know, like posting pictures of your, your vacation or what you had for breakfast, any of that. So I have no, I, I, my, my response is to put it to one side and who cares what's happening on social media, but a lot of people do care. And that might be part of the problem. So let me I mean, take you're, the you're actually quite popular unpopular. on TikTok. Sorry? Like, I said, you are actually quite, your videos are quite popular on TikTok, though. Like, the thing <laughs> is, is like, you're not, on, you're not on social media as you, but your content gets yeah. repurposed. Fair enough. And it does make uh, you know, I've often, I've often thought the only reason I have ever started a social media account or ever would is just, hey, here's my, here's my podcast. Here's my work. I would, yeah. you know, that's, that's it. I'm not there to have conversations. Yeah, it doesn't have to be but like yeah, fun. How do we... How do we filter through the garbage that is the nonstop 24 seven assault psychic assault that is social media is kind of, in a sense, it answers its own question because it is a 24 seven nonstop psychic assault. Maybe we shouldn't be subjecting ourselves to that. And, uh, you know, it's extremely unpopular to say, okay, everyone just get off of social media. I, I know that's not going to happen, um, to, to a large extent, but at the very least, being conscious of our use of social media and our approach to it and what we are using it for and how much time we are engaging with it rather than just doing the infinite scroll. We have to start being more mindful with our use of technology. And I don't have the wonderful, you know, here's this seven step plan of how to do this, but I think we at least need to start thinking and talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about, you know, Danny's uh, tweet the other day about the coexist bumper sticker. Maybe we should try that out. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> we obviously tend to lean on comedy as a way to kind of navigate this stuff. But even if it's not like from your friends, even if it's just from pages and you don't know what's true, what's not obviously being skeptical of everything from here on out kind of goes without saying, but it is a, a difficult spot to navigate what's true and what should be taken into account or what is just nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a healthy skepticism is definitely good and definitely uh, as little time, but you know, Obviously, social media can be good. It can be bad. You can waste your whole day on there, but you can also find out cool, cool stuff as well. So you're just. Yeah. The, I mean, I'm not again, I'm not saying people have to delete it all and never yeah. go on it again, but just just be mindful of what you are doing on it and what yeah. you're getting. out. I mean, I'll tell you as someone who like, you know, I'm a comedian, so my livelihood in, for to a degree, I need to just do certain things yeah. on social media. And I find myself I'll go on there to do something. I'll be like, I have to I have a mindfully doing something and then 30 minutes later i was like what was i doing exactly I no like, i'll tell you the moment i remember in. yeah because i was thinking you hop about on with the task to do something but you forget what it is after you click on it right yeah no i i remember i was thinking about um getting off of twitter and i was thinking about it seriously for some time but i remember the moment that i knew oh yeah i'm off this is done was when i was out here in japan in the park playing with my kids in the park and out of habit 
took the fondle slab out, started scrolling through the Twitter feed. And I remember consciously realizing, like, what am I doing? Why did I do this? How did I, I didn't even consciously think about it. I just started, oh, I wonder what's on Twitter. And that was the moment I knew, oh, I'm not in control of this. It's in control of me. I better take control back. So I said, bye-bye yeah, to Twitter. I literally do that 20 times a day. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Thanks, caller. Appreciate it. Yep. All right. I want to be uh, respectful of your time. You got to go, James. But uh, uh, hopefully we can have you back sometime if you ever uh, for, for a full, full show. If, if you yep. ever uh, are so inclined, that'd be really cool because you uh, you're a badass. And uh, I think people have a lot more questions for you. I mean, the phone lines have been ringing off the hook. We only got to talk to a few people. But uh, so people can find you the Corbett report uh, dot com. Sign up for your newsletter, all your podcasts and whatnot. Thank you very much. I uh, really appreciate your time. And hopefully we'll uh, we'll have you back on soon. Yep. Thank you. Take Excellent. care. Take care. Bye. All right, everybody. That has been James Corbett. Uh, one moment, please. We are going to get our next guest, uh, Daniel Boardman. Um, very cool of James Corbett uh, to come on. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't have. I'm sorry that you guys have to see how the sausage is made here. Let me just wait a minute while we get. Uh, Sorry, just give me a second here while we get Daniel Boardman coming on. And uh, we will get to him. I have to pee really badly, but I'm not going to. Should I wait? No, I'm not going to wait. Um, but uh, what am I trying to do here? Okay, we'll do this while we wait for Daniel to come on. Oops. That's weird. I, uh, I, I didn't know how to manage two people at one time. So what am I doing here? Give me, give me one second here. I'm kind of uh kind of spazzing out here a little bit how do i move this thing away it's very low value oh you know what it doesn't matter daniel boardman here he is daniel boardman what's up buddy hello sorry about that how are you doing for some reason my zoom needed to update despite the fact that i do eight thousand of these a day that's Um, okay it happens my life is literally all just production nightmares and all sorts of things and just as what it is how you doing buddy how you been doing well been a bit of a crazy life the last uh while but um other than wars i can't complain so me and daniel uh we first met in doing comedy in toronto and then you've been uh you've gone on to become a bit of a journalist geopolitical analyst india expert um, so for a lot of people who don't know, there was a big, maybe give people the quick little rundown of the whole India thing, which by the way, this Israel thing, huge for Trudeau. Nobody's talking shit about any of that stuff. Yeah. He got off the hook on that Th- one. And, this and gave even everybody's off the hook about everything. Yeah. It's quite thing. Like even Indian media, which is full steam ahead, like on the Trudeau thing, like switched to Israel, Palestine and, you know, um, but, uh, so, okay. The, the short of it is, um, there was a what the Trudeau calls a Sikh religious activist, what the Indian government calls a terrorist and a leader of the Khalistan Tiger Force, who was killed three months ago um, by, you know, someone assassinated him. And the liberals decided to blame the Indian government publicly and exile a diplomat over it. And right after that happened, I said, oh, that's a bad idea. This is going to go really, really, really poorly because no one really understands just how bad the Calistani problem is in Canada. Um, so, like, well, What know, is the Calistani of... population? And they're basically, um, we've talked about this on the boys cast, but they're like separatists, right? 
Yeah, there's Sikh separatists. They're a fringe minority. They're a super fringe minority in India. They're a fringe minority in Canada, bigger in Canada than they are in, in, in the rest of the world. But it's like, you know, less than 10% of Sikhs in Canada would be Khalistanis. The other ones are militantly anti-Khalistani. Um, but this is a movement that was sort of created by Pakistan back in the 70s, really ramped up in the 80s, started doing a bunch of terrorist attacks in the 80s in India, kidnappings, bombings. Was that the famous think... Canadian terror attack? Like the yes, plane? it was a Khalistani one. Yeah, the, by the way, the just, just sorry to cut you off. Uh, guys, phone lines are closed again. I'll reopen them in about 10 minutes or so. So uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The biggest terrorist attack in Canadian history was the Air India bombing, uh, where some Khalistanis blew up uh, an airplane full of Hindus. Um, no one was ever really punished for it in Canada. Uh, Tawinder Parmar, the mastermind of it, was actually taken out by the Indian authorities in the 90s. So killed? no one ever like faced justice. Like when you say taken out, he was killed? Yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, yeah. He was killed in a shootout with the Indian police in 1992, oh, okay. I believe. Um, so Canada never punished anyone for the, the terrorist attack. And there's crazy stories of like, it, 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 it's a pretty shameful um, bungling of uh, our national security uh, on that. And since then, the Khalistani movement has only grown and grown and grown. People might remember that Justin Trudeau invited a convicted terrorist with him to India the first time he went in 2018, this guy, Jasper Atwal, who was convicted in Canadian courts of attempting to assassinate an Indian minister. So India has a big problem with Canada, which is we have quite literally terrorist training camps on our soil with people openly planning to commit violence uh, against India. And there's, you know, India's claiming that these people are flying to Pakistan, going into India, assassinating Indians, going back to Can Pakistan, flying to Canada for a home base. And it's created some geopolitical problems. So, you know, when we accuse the Indian government of taking out Hardip Singh Najjar without presenting any evidence of that claim, I was like, this is not going to go well because the Indian government is just not going to take this because this isn't the Indian government of 10 years ago. They used to be ruled by like Congress party, which was just like Gandhi, 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 not a Gandhi, Gandhi, Gandhi. Like it's like Trudeau's just a bunch of people getting famous off their name who, who've who been pretty soft on, uh, on a lot of issues and, you know, quite appeasement focused. And then you have the new Modi government, which is not like that at all. So I kind of made a 14 minute video um, you know, the next day going like, okay, Canada, India 101, here's what you need to know. And here's how screwed we are. That went like mega viral um, in India, started this sort of Daniel goes on Indian media campaign. Yeah, you're going on like India TV, like 10 times a day. Basically, yeah, <laughs> it's, it was at the point, like at the height of it, where I was like saying no to CNN India, because like I was doing other things at, at the time. And like, and then they would have to ask me like, who else can go on TV? So I would like, they said like my colleague, why Claypool can go when I'm not there. Um, so it was like, it, it was, um, yeah, it was the whole thing. So, and so there was a theory that the guy, um, that guy Hardeep Najjar or whatever, if people don't know, you can look it up, but it was, I mean, it was a big scandal in Canada and it was a pretty big international story too. But so was he like a government, like, uh, because there's the whole story with how he tried to get, uh, citizenship. He was like denied, basically he had all these issues. Then he like got a marriage. Uh, he got married for the purpose of getting citizenship. He also was denied. And then yeah. he just eventually wound up with citizenship. Is there any yeah. truth to the fact that it's like he was basically working for CSIS or something to the effect? So, I mean, not for CSIS. I mean, the the accusation put out by camera, TV News 9 or Republic TV, I can't remember. One of the Indian channels uh, basically said there was an MP. So they accused the liberal MP from Surrey, B.C., so Surrey is the hub of the Khalistan movement, uh, accused him of writing a letter of recommendation for Hardip Singh Najjar to get him in. 
Um, and this particular MP has a long history of writing letters for people you should not be writing letters for, like a convicted Pakistani gang member, um, like a notorious international criminal um, he went, he gone to bat for. It. And like who, who MPs write letters for isn't like direct public knowledge. So this had to be sourced. So we still don't have it fully confirmed there. But the accusation from India is liberal MP from Surrey uh, ended up uh, getting him citizenship because we know he was denied twice. Like he was on watch lists and like the, the accusation of the Indian government is he was a, the leader of the Khalistan Tiger Force, um, which they list as a terrorist organization. It's an offshoot of the Barba Khalistan, which blew up the Air India bombing. And well, Hardip Singh Najjar's supporters have sort of confirmed this because we've seen now multiple videos and reports that his picture is up um, as a leader of the Khalistan Tiger Force, which is if you don't know anything about the Khalistanis, it's a it's a picture of a lion with two swords going through it because the Khalistan movement is not um, the most um, intellectually superior and, and sophisticated movement you will find. Um, it's 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 again it like if you know anything about like Sikh history, the, the Sikh religion I kind don't. of started during the Islamic invasions of India, where they went, okay, this pacifism stuff is going to get us all killed. So everyone grab a knife and defend your family. So the 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 origins of Sikhism is quite rooted in fighting off fundamentalist Islam. So the Khalistanis who are palling around in Pakistan, a country that has pretty much ethnically cleansed all their Sikhs um, and attacking India is suspect. Not only that, the Grand Sikh Kingdom they want to recreate to form Khalistan. The capital of that was in Lahore, Pakistan, but they want no, no territory from Pakistan. Only the Indian version, uh, region of Punjab is what they claim. So the whole movement, if you look at it, is, is pretty clearly you know, ISI funded and created. Uh, it's been allowed to grow and fester in Canada where they they bring kids into these gudwaras and radicalize them. I'm, I've seen the literature from these Brampton gudwaras where they literally openly praise terrorists. There'll be things like lessons for kids where they'll go over different shaheeds, which is Punjabi for martyrs. And they'll yeah. literally talk about his life. Like he grew up here. And then in 1994, he flew to India and he killed this person and this person. And that was great. Then he came back to Canada. And then he went again to India and he killed this person and this person. And that was great. Then in 96, he went back to India and killed this person and this person. But in 1997, he was sold out by one of his brothers and he was killed by the Indian police. And this is a great crime. And who's going to avenge him? Like, right. this is and literally so, going on. Yeah. And so where does the where does the Canada-India relations stand with it now? Like, is it just like kind of swept under the rug? Oh, no, they're still mad. Oh, India is but, still but like, very... is there any actual like like actual blowback from it or? Yeah, yeah. So the visas have been canceled and put on hold. So you can't get new visas to go to India. And they're also recommending that international students no longer choose Canada. So about 47, like 90% of the university incomes comes from foreign students. Like right. half of that is students from India. So you're going to see the economic shockwaves, at least in the universities over the next few years as as they're funding uh, and, and and cash cow gets severely uh, choked. Um, and there's there's also potential like trade implications. Like India's our ninth largest trading partner in Canada. There's like a massive deal signed by Saskatchewan farmers to send grain there. Like all of that's in jeopardy because the because Indian government a, sees this as a massive security risk. Right. For okay. good reason. All right. So let, let's change topics here. Let's talk about um, uh, what's going on in Israel. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are, because there's a lot of, lot of, I don't know if you caught, how much you caught of the first half of the show, if, if anything. I, uh, I was watching uh, most of it. I, I started watching 10 minutes so, in. Okay, so there's um, some weird stuff going on, obviously, uh, to some degree. 
what what where do you stand i think with like first off the hospital like uh, i'm sure you've been following it where, where are we even at with it currently as a, i feel like it's been changing every minute like i i've seen some pretty good videos like a full length that 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 people have been able to put forward that this is a rocket misfiring and falling on a hospital i mean you also like again like there's a problem where we just believe everything you know gaza officials say remember gaza officials or ministry of health that's all hamas right yeah. hamas is the government and they have a history i mean if you look at the the fighting between uh israel and pij like from last year um israel like when they they once killed an innocent child who was 33 years old with a full beard and he was part of the lion's den organization a terrorist group his his photos were plastered all around full beard two ak-47s in each hand like vest on like glorious martyr he was part of, and then they said look at the terrorist i uh, sorry look at the kid the child that was killed so the what they were using a photo of a 33 year old man and they're just like yeah. this, this is a child? But this is what they do right again because hamas counts their own casualties so everyone killed in in these conflicts whether it's from a missile that short fires from hamas or pij into gaza strip or a, a missile from israel everyone who's killed is in english an innocent child who had nothing to do with anything and then often in arabic their posters are then plastered within their own internal media of saying glory to the martyr he died fighting the the jews we we encourage you to do this and then his mom gets on tv and says i'm so proud of my son for achieving martyrdom and all this and we hope more fighting and bombing and killing blah 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 but you put the lie out once the people who want to believe it go and like you know a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on the old adage yeah. there so i'm skeptical of, of the, the gaza claims um yeah i mean i just thought like because israel seems to be losing the pr fight at least as far oh it's been as... losing for decades but i'm like yeah. it's really losing right now like when it, even you know the, even though the fact is like not the fact but like you know the fact the, the fact that they at least in this instance um you know were attacked first right and then everybody wants to go back and forth and they want to fucking pick whatever date in time they want to make their point and vice versa or whatever but like you know they're they're definitely losing it um so for them to go bomb a hospital and kill like what's the death toll at like possibly near a thousand people i'm just like from that just like first principles i was like i they didn't there's no way they did that on purpose I, that at least that was my opinion could have been yeah, accidental. I mean, Israel's smart enough not to bomb a hospital on purpose. I mean, they're trying. I mean, they, they know it's going to happen, right? Also, with a thousand casualties in a hospital with eighty beds, the hospital has eighty beds. And I'm like, listen, I'm not saying you know they're going to be packed to the gills, maybe overstaffed, but again, yeah, this isn't Toronto General Hospital sized hospital. This is a hospital with eighty beds. So doesn't mean it's a legit target or, or anything like that. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, this is the size of the hospital. You know, these are the casualties being reported immediately. You know, I think we should all keep some fog of war skepticism. But yeah, again. I, I, and I agree. No, uh, and I'm going to reopen the phone lines in a few minutes, everybody. If anybody uh, has a question for Daniel, so wh what do you make of? Because I, I think James was the same. Uh, I think I was the same. Like how how were they able to just do this? Like uh, the, the on, initial, like, the, the initial, like yeah. So so I, I can get, like listen. We're not going to know for a while, but. It's actually not as surprising to me as many, because this is the doomsday scenario I've sort of been warning about for years, to deaf ears, to I'll shout out my family. Um, <laughs> but 
I, you know, I was saying, listen, if Biden releases billions of dollars to the Islamic Republic of Iran and Hamas gets enough high-grade rocket technology to breach the Iron Dome, they could instigate a doomsday scenario. So people don't often understand how the Iron Dome functions. One, it's designed to take out low-grade rockets aimed specifically at high-population density areas. So it's not something that just takes out anything moving in the air, right? So people saying, why isn't Israel sending the Iron Dome to Ukraine? Because it would malfunction within half a second. It couldn't do anything about Russian artillery. Not a thing, right? It, it wouldn't work in that, right? It's It, it can launch, take out these homemade rockets that Hamas is fashioned. So that. So the Iron Dome isn't meant to take out paragliders in that. Two, you know, you have a Jewish holiday. Um, and the Israelis have been caught being hubristic before and thinking they were sort of indefensible. We mentioned the Yom Kippur War, where, you know, they didn't really, you know, believe some of the rumblings. Uh, and two, like, it's not the craziest strategy, what Hamas did. Um, if you look at like how Canadians were successful in World War I during the Battle of Vibi Ridge, it was when Arthur Curry and the Canadians, you know, sort of used combined arms tactics. The, the most advanced one is, we know, there's like the creeping barrage where you would use artillery to screen the advance of the infantry that when the artillery stopped, the infantry would already be on top of the trenches and you could instigate a break there. Like that, 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 this is sort of the same general tactic Hamas used where they had higher grade rockets because they managed to get it off the black market from either Ukraine or Afghanistan or whatever, you know, terrorism is funded by the black market. So you had higher grade rocket technology where you had a breach of the Iron Dome and they knew that the Israeli response when the Iron Dome is overwhelmed is not start fl flinging bombs back, right? This is not what the Israelis do. Any other country, any other army, when someone shoots at them, they shoot back. That's not how Israel functions. They usually have to wait about 24 to 48 hours hunkered down to build up international support so the Biden can say, you know what, I built enough support in caucus, you're allowed to fire back at a few Hamas members, go for it. But again, this is what they knew would happen. So you had lower military preparedness, you had this situation where the Iron Dome was breached, so all the Israelis went inside. You probably had help from, you know, most likely the IRGC intelligence, maybe Russia, we're not sure, right? Because these are the islands, we're, we're not exactly sure. But clearly there was some outside intelligence helping Hamas do this. And you had soft points in the fence. It wasn't like this massive concrete wall. Like if you had bulldozers, you saw you could get through the fence, instigate a few breaches, drive trucks with a bunch of you know militants and terrorists on the back of it. And they spread into Israel and create chaos spreading out all over the country. It's a small country. So you have all these mass reports. Like why wasn't the IDF there? Because, well, there's hundreds of reports coming from all over the country, you know, all the time. It's chaos. So you could see Hamas took advantage of knowing exactly how the Israelis would react. They knew they would go inside into bomb shelters where all they where they all were with that because Israel has opened up thousands of work permits to people of Gaza. How many of those people were sympathetic with Hamas and just biding their time doing reconnaissance on Israeli soldiers, giving like the names and the families and the things like a lot of that information came from the people working in Israel from the Gaza Strip. So you had, you know, not to say everyone was doing that, but you had enough people who were working in Israel, who then went back to Gaza, who could easily provide this information. You have outside intelligence and you, you have this sort of, you know, con 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 conflict and, 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 and combat is often about momentum, right? Whoever gains momentum has a significant advantage. So yes, it could be gained back, but this initial breach, like once you got people and trucks going in Israel in all these chaotic matters, like chaos was unleashed. It, it was impossible yeah, to contain. I mean, it is what it seemed like. Right. And and you can go like, oh, conspiracy, like, OK, we can find out in years, like, was there someone there? What's the utility of this? Did Israel want this to unite? Whatever. But at the end of the day, 
there were hundreds of people who were more than happy to live stream rape, murder, torture, you know, uh, lighting people on fire, calling, you know, calling people's families on their phones, calling mom and dad to torture their family members and then execute them in front of them. Like th there still is a malevolence among the people of Hamas, PIJ and, and whoever that that really drove this like yeah. like that's that's not really debatable like you know was there maybe some a double agent on the inside who gave up something maybe like we're not gonna know the answers to these questions but in terms of like how could this happen right like again paragliders aren't going to be taken down by the iron dome and right. it was sort of this new thing where they had them sort of, you know, come in. I, I've heard reports. These aren't the hardest things to learn how to fly. Not everyone flew them successfully. Like some, there is a there is a video of one of the paragliders that's like going straight into the electrical wire and, and killing himself that way. Um, but like this, this is, it's like, it's general combined arms warfare and using artillery to screen infantry. And then if your target is not military, but just mass chaos and destruction and, you know, a, 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 a civilian massacre, Right. You just need to find people and kill them. It's not like, you know, they had to. Yeah. If you you're know, just trying to basically terrorize them, then it's right. This is just terrorism and, 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 and mass chaos. Yeah. So hold, hold on a second there. We got a call. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to take this. Um, hello. Know, to, Thanks yeah, for calling. Low value mail. Who am I speaking with? You got to turn down your right, radio there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. One second. Is that better now? Yeah. Yeah, that's better. One moment, please. Uh, all right. You're on with uh, Daniel Boardman. Go ahead. Hey, what's going on, Daniel? Um. Uh, this is I, I was trying to call earlier in because I had the same question for James. Um, so I am from like like I originate from the other side of the world, and anytime all these conflicts pop up, everything that's like on the other side of the prime meridian, uh, I try and explain to my American friends, like my West and everyone else is Western, is uh, these people in the East. And especially now that we're talking about Israel and Palestine, they just have a completely different mentality. And I, I'm just trying to understand how can Westerners, and I want to say Westerners, I mean Americans, Canadians, uh, Western Europeans, how can they understand the the mentality of, um, because uh, the like for instance the interaction between uh, the the Jew and the Arab in the context of Israel. Because it's like, I mean, I, I grew up in, like, I grew up in Houston and we had, like, I had Jewish friends and some of them were Israeli. And it's like, yeah, no, I immediately get that sense. And the same thing, I had Arab and uh, Islamist friends and I've been around their families and their parents. And, but it's, they have like that same mentality that like I grew up in the household where it's like, everyone's stubborn, everyone's hard-headed and the sense of like compassion or being understanding and listening uh that you see in western values it just does not apply over there well what's it going to take for the westerners to understand that there is no such thing as following laws and rule like laws and rules you say no like, thing oh no, i think you said thing. falling in love no you said following laws i think i get the question no, 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 no. like like, the, like the, they, they like how can the westerners understand that the people who are in charge in that part of the world are those who enforce their might through will and violence. And like, we, like, we are the top dog. Like we come around, we swing, we hit. And it's like, if you ain't hitting us back and taking us out, then we're the ones in charge. 
but also yeah. like the whole like we're stubborn we don't like no negotiations no nothing like we uh, okay what it is politely putting those kind of people drive a hard bargain you know right right and it's not applicable in the western mindset how can yep. it be become understandable if not practical and applicable within western society right and does it even need to be but anyways go ahead daniel yeah, I think this is a good question. It's something I talk about. Like, yeah, listen, I don't want to ditch the Western mindset. I think Western values um, are a lot better than Middle Eastern values in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm happy Westerners have Western values. But you're absolutely right that the lack of understanding and the inability to to understand that other cultures viewed things differently. Like I always say, like when it comes to the Middle East, diversity is not our strength. Strength is your strength, and weakness is weakness. Like there's there's one rule to foreign policy and geopolitics. Really, might makes right. And there's a reason why Bashar al-Assad in Syria was able to kill more Palestinians than Israel did in 10 years, and no one criticized it, is because if Palestinians spoke up about what happened at Yarmouk, he would take their family and murder them in horrible ways. Now, I'm not saying that's the solution at all. I'm just sort of explaining why you don't see Muslim countries complaining about Uyghur and personally uh, imprisoned in China so much, because they know if they speak up against the Chinese, the, the CCP comes down hard on them, and, and there's consequences here. So one silver lining here is I actually think a lot more people have woken up to these mentalities and, and what's going on, because, yes, while there is crazy anti-Israel stuff and anti-Semites have gone down like the, the rabbit hole here, a lot of good, decent people saw the videos that Hamas live streamed and were rightfully horrified and I think came to an understanding that this was not about Palestinian human rights, not about you know, settlements or this or that or whatever. It was a, a war of, of genocidal ideology, which is what Hamas has said it was from day one. You have to read their charter. So my advice, uh, there's two things. One, the corruption of Western academia is 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 a lot to blame here, right? More relativism, um, these, these academics who want to sort of prop up their own um, Western quasi-ideologies Right. And they have to believe that they're the great defenders of the minorities. So they impose their, you know, center left or, or neo-communist, depending where they are, ideologies onto these people and don't actually treat them for what they are. I think like that system needs to be challenged. And two, I think it's incumbent on, you know, individuals to educate themselves at, at the end of the day. Like I can't take seven billion people and, you know, show them you know, a press conference in the Arab world or what like the Islamic Republic of Iran is actually saying. Um, it's it's sort of incumbent on a lot of people to, you know, find this out for themselves. But I mean, the shock and horror of what happened on the 7th might do a lot of it. And the only answer I think we really have control over is the dismantling of a lot of these flawed ideologies, anything in a social science, like, I mean, the predominant theories in social science when it comes to how we structure societies or how we look at them in the more relativistic ways. Like these need to be challenged because this, this is a big part of this problem and, and many others. And, and one of the things it does is it, it doesn't foster understanding of these people. Like, you know, like again, most Middle Eastern professors, if they're white, have no concept of what anyone in the Middle East thinks about anything. Yeah. Just oh, academic. I will use academic. Yeah, no, as it, a I mean, I, I saw the, uh, I saw this, I mean, first off, the whole, um, I call this like a midair collision in a circus when there's like intersectionality problems, like talking about queers for Palestine. I mean, that's like the most basic, like surface level, like people can't understand. But I saw the same, like 
what is it when the Ukraine war started popping off? Like in a oh, oh first of all with the whole humanity. Okay, what I'm talking about is when this most recent thing popped off with Russian Ukraine. There was talks on German state television of like, should we be still can affording human rights to Russians? Like they were literally like, this is Germans talking about, should we still consider Russians human beings in the context of combat? And, but this is at the same time since I've been, because I've been following that whole conflict since 2014, they've been doing this whole thing, like how you were, uh, how to mention Hamas, like they'll grab somebody's phone, then go through the contacts, like, oh, here's your mom, here's your wife, here's your, you know, sister, girlfriend, whatever. And they'll just, like, basically live stream, like, oh, hey, you know, ha, 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 this is, you know, your loved one, or stepping on them, pissing on them, and boom, 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 cut them up. And, yeah, that, that shit's been happening all over the Eastern world and the Western world. Is, and, like, the whole thing of, but what, what, I think, like, the only way most people in America could like combat being involved with this, being like, I just want to put my dollar out because America sends money to both Israel and the UN and the UN gives aid to Palestine. I'm just trying to figure out like, what is it going to take for Americans to become completely isolationist where they're like, you know what? We're done. Let them figure it out. Like, like, they're like, everyone can say all they want about, like, oh, uh, let the men fight it out. You know, Putin said that. He's like, this shouldn't be about women and children. Let the men fight it out, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I, I just don't want my money going to it. Yeah. And then the other part is. Hold on. Let me, let me give uh, Daniel a second to answer that first part before you oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean. What, what, like, what do you think about the interventionist case by the United so, States? Listen, I'm, I'm not an isolationist. Um, I, I think isolationism is doomed to create catastrophes. And I don't think you can isolate yourself from the world. Like, listen, Qatar, Islamic Republic of Iran, the CCP, the Russians, all of them are investing billions of dollars in undermining America uh, through education, through propaganda, through this and that. And listen, that doesn't mean grab a gun, start killing people, right? I, I don't think American troops on the ground in, in Ukraine is what I'm asking for. But um, isolationist foreign policy is doomed to fail. And if you take a full on isolationist approach, the odds that China goes into Taiwan in 2027 increase dramatically. Right? So what, what is the significance of 2027s? That's what that's when China says they want to do it by. Oh, okay. This is this is the CCP line, like, you know, Taiwan 2027, like they're quite open, like we're gonna, you know, this is our plan. Our invasion plan is is scheduled for 2027. Okay. Um, so that's that's you know the, the, the date they're aiming for. And, you know, part of part of good foreign policy and reducing war is deterrence. And I think a lot of times we live in a world and a lot, you know, hype up where we confuse deterrence for escalation. So my example of this is the U.S., who Biden has done a lot of good foreign policy, but it was smart to put major destroyers in the Mediterranean. This reduces the chances that Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria get involved in this war and it drags into a wider regional conflict. If America shows that, hey, there's there's literally nothing we're going to do, we're just going to sit everything out, you invite the forces of chaos to sort of fill in that vacuum. And listen, I get it for the Americans. You feel like it sucks. You know, why do we have to be world police? Well, because you're the best country in the world. Like, you're yeah. like, it's the most powerful yeah. economy. Most powerful. Well, I, I can agree with that. But in just what you said, but here's the thing. 
I can understand America and American private individuals understanding we uh, America's security interests, for instance, for Panama because of the Panama Canal. I can never get a clear outline of what is America's true intentions for this providing security and, and uh, material and funding of any sort of that kind to Israel. And it's like, bro, I'm a Jew, but I was just like, bro, you hit my pocket. Like, I'm the Jew being Jewed by a Jew. Like, this is a dreidel of inception or inception of dreidelism. Like, it's like, well, when it, the dreidel like, spins it, too fast. The dreidel, yeah, the, the, the thing. Like, well, what I will say is American aid to Israel is different than American aid to other countries. So, like, when they give a, when you give a billion dollars to Egypt, that money just goes to Egypt. Most of the aid to Israel, especially well, that's all from that's that's all from nineteen uh, seventy was it nineteen seventy nine or nineteen seventy three when they gave back seventy four. It was it was it, right. It was Kissinger said, okay, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. If we're going to back Israel, might as well just give them the weapons to do this. But military aid to Israel is actually but the money Israel. also to Egypt. Well, yeah, it, it was like yeah, three Egypt, billion. Like, and Jordan, America gives lots of foreign aid to lots of countries. And listen, I think foreign aid is a bad idea in a lot of a lot of cases. But the Israeli foreign aid, it should be noted. The condition it comes with conditions and strings. The military aid is uh, America gives to Israel. Israel has to spend over ninety percent of that money on American military technology. So it's it is funneled back into the American economy. You could say yeah, if you're Raytheon and Lockheed and and the military yeah. industrial complex, sure, sure. Like listen, they, I'm, they're they're not perfect. I'm not saying everything that Raytheon does is lovely, right? I've seen the sketches you guys have made, but. It should be pointed out that Israel is the only country that is given aid on the condition that it has to be reinvested in American. Companies. That's true. That's there's no other countries that have conditions. I don't. Well, yeah, agree. I mean, one of those, one of those uh, reinvestments is the pharmaceutical industry. You know, bro, Israel love making colonoscopies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I get that. Um, well, yeah, they're, they're, listen, there there comes large entanglements with foreign aid are like a bad idea. And like when we give corn to other places, like that ends up causing starvation problems. Like it, foreign aid is like a massive money laundering feel good scheme um, that doesn't help as many people as it claims to. So I'm not out here like simping for, you know, massive foreign aid increasements. But it, it's sort of a conversation that that needs a little bit of nuance here and there because each one is different. And like we want to reduce it, which I'm totally in favor of doing like I, I like there's, you know. It's not helping. I mean, it's well, such I mean, a it's that, such an insignificant sum of money, too. Like in terms of yeah. like you know Israel's GDP, like they don't need it. Certainly, they don't need the money. No, I mean, and there's like there's conversations uh, in Israel that they don't want to be reliant on U.S. foreign policy and foreign money because like a lot of that handicapped Israel, right? These 24 hours that they have to wait to respond to rockets, a large part of that is sort of contingent on keeping American support high. Right. And yeah, like their, their GDP in 2021 was 500, 488 billion dollars. They get three point something. It's yeah. Nothing like as yeah. a, like they don't. Yeah. need it. Certainly no, no. Like, don't. yeah, I yeah. could. Yeah. Like, listen, yeah. we can. If you listen, if I'm in favor of cutting American foreign aid to Israel, if America cuts all its foreign aid to all the terrorists who are fighting Israel, like that would, that would be fair. like, I think yeah. I think that's something everyone get a get a, get a hold hey, of. Caller, I'm, I'm going to let you go. We're going to take another call here. Um, one second here, Daniel. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? One second, please. And you're on with Daniel Boardman. Go ahead. Hey, what's going on, Danny and Daniel? Uh, this is conspiracy extremist 
First, up, uh, Danny, I got to tell you, your Twitter, it, it keeps me laughing all day, man. You're, Thanks, it's man. lit. You're killing it. Thanks. Dan. I love I appreciate it. it. All right. So I got a question. Um, hey, hey, Daniel, are you also part of the chosen like Danny? Yes, he is. Look at his face. Yehudi, Ken. <laughs> Look at perfect. his face. Perfect. Awesome. Okay, so uh, this is good because my question, I, I I proposed this idea or question to uh, Twitter Spaces and it didn't go well, but it was a bunch of goyim like me. So this is perfect. All right. So I, I've been, the last week we've been sitting on Twitter, just awful stuff, man, and a bunch of rhetoric about like, you know, Hamas, they're, we should glass Hamas and, you know, they're, subhuman they're like animals and it's all good stuff but my idea was <laughs> that i haven't heard and i want to, i want to see what you guys think what if we glass israel we turn the gaza strip into a hamas petting zoo and then the israels can charge a small fee, the, the israelis can charge a small fee to the palestinian kids to come to the petting zoo good um, idea bad idea where the where, uh wait we're gonna do the all of israel yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I was know. thinking that there should because this is like essentially a biblical issue, and I have thought this that like this is a biblical issue. They should deal with it in a biblical manner, which is essentially they go full King Solomon. They go, look, neither of you guys can have this. Both get out, and then whoever says, oh, and I'm gonna you know, whatever, like blow up, cutting cutting the kid in half, essentially. Well, that's the 1947 partition plan. They did that. The the Jews yeah. said yes. The Arabs said genocide. Mm. And then, well, then there you go. They so, already tried it. That's already ha- that. That was that was 1922 and 23, and then it happened again in 1947. So we've been there, done that, tried it, failed. Is um, there any way? Is do you see Daniel any way out of like just a uh, never-ending conflict in this region? Like I, I think Hamas needs to be thoroughly defeated and reset the balance here. It, it, to... Is it true that Israel funds Hamas or to a degree? Like I've, I've so seen the, some things the, like the, the, okay. So what happened is yes, Israel had in the eighties when Hamas was coming up. You have to understand during this time the PLO was a dominant faction, Yasser Arafat, and the PLO, like yes, like again the Munich things, they killed the Israelis, the suicide bombings, the assassinations, the 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 mentality and the open statement from the PLO at the time was destroy Israel and genocide. Like they were pretty clear. So when they saw Hamas as a potential destabilizing force and maybe a counterbalance, they didn't sort of stop the rise of Hamas and even let a few of their more radical clerics kind of get into the Gaza Strip because they the, the thought was and ended up blowing up in their face. But the thought was essentially, OK, if we could have another political power rising in, in, in the Palestinian territories, maybe there'll be some counterbalance. And through that, we could find a partner for peace. They ended up enabling the people who were more radical in the PLO because Hamas went from, we're not just going to kill everyone in Israel. We now want a global genocide of Jews and total world domination. So not really a step in the right direction, but um, this is the context in which you could say, well, people say, well, Israel created Hamas. It's an Israeli creation. It's like, okay, let's, let's add some, some context here. I don't really think Israel's like, great. We have these Islamic radicals on, on our border now with rockets. So this is exactly what we wanted. Um, it was because the PLO was dangerous and they realized they could just they could not bargain with Arafat in any way. And he had no willingness for any type of peace that wasn't um, genocidal. They allowed sort of a, a Hamas to try and become a counterbalance in the region. And, and then that did not yeah. go. How does one start a terrorist organization? 
Um, like, is there a new Hamas that's kind of like six guys sitting around a kitchen table right now? Yeah, there kind of is. I mean, these happen all the time. Like Hamas and PIJ aren't the only terrorist organizations in the Palestinian territories, right? The PFLP, they're more communist. But you you have these offshoots of like, you know, at, like offshoots of al-Nusra will, will pop up and, and here and there, right? It's And are they all just jockeying for whoever's like kind of funding all these things? Like they're kind of just basically trying to get... Yeah, it's sense they they be jockeying for Iranian funding, but a lot of them are like legit religious radicals and they have slight religious philosophical differences with Hamas. And because of that, they start their own terrorist group, right? So, I mean, if you look at like any sort of hardline ideological movement, like even I brought up the Calistanis before who seem to have a united thing, but even within like their 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 siege of the Golden Temple, there was a lot of infighting and there still is a lot of infighting in the Calistanis. Like, you know, when when one of the reasons I was so upset that we did this over like when a Calistani leader got killed is like Calistani gang members get killed all the time in Canada. Like just like a, a week before the big kerfuffle, Another Palestinian gang leader was killed, probably by a, a different Palestinian gang because they're involved in criminal organizations and there's also ideological schisms within them. So, you know, a lot of, you know, yes, Al, you know, Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda, um, Al-Nusra, Boko Haram, Hamas all share similar ideologies and a lot of them are rooted in Muslim Brotherhood philosophy, but there's slight differences among them that, you know, can schism the group. Like this was the formation of Al-Qaeda right? The, the Bin Laden faction ended up killing um, the Palestinian faction because, you know, there's one faction that wanted to start with the Israel thing and Bin Laden's faction wanted to start in the Philippines because they were mad at the Philippines for whatever reason. And then they got mad at East Timor separating from Indonesia. And that's where they started. So, you know, when you have hardline religious radicals and there's slight philosophical disagreements, you can get um, a sort of schism terrorist group um, that pops up many times. So, it's it, there is more than just defeating Hamas here. You you do have to defeat sort of the ideology of jihad in, in a way, and that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the task Israel has to go on is is to deal a significant moral blow to the jihadis. Is is really what I think the operational goal um, should be. It's hard to say that you know to the public because that's you know you want a more clear operational goal of destroying Hamas. But I think we've seen like Hamas has called the global days of jihad. There's the attacks in Paris. There was the attack in Belgium the other night. You know, there, there are there is. Have you know, they found riots. the person from Belgium the other night? I were, think were, they did find him. Um, you know, were they, they were looking for him. I think okay. they did. I mean, I could check that, but yeah, I, I knew they could. That's okay. All right, yo, caller, I'm gonna let you go. Uh, it sounds like no to the petting. Right, sounds like no to the petting zoo. Uh, all right, we're gonna take the next call here. Uh, hello, next call, low value mail. Hey, Danny and Daniel. That's Artem. Hey, Artem. uh, Yeah, one second. We're just. uh, I got a question about. All right, you're on. You're on with Daniel. Go ahead. Okay, so um, Daniel, I got a question about India. I think I was listening to like Ray Dalio, and he was saying that at a time when uh, we got like two major world powers fighting, like the West and the East, um, that it's good to kind of invest in the people that are are involved in the fight. And he was kind of saying that India was one of those places that. Uh, potentially would kind of benefit from uh, kind of China, Russia, and the U.S. having a conflict and them kind of playing middleman and kind of really boosting their own production and growing and kind of being the next China. Um, so I guess I want to get your opinion on that, if you really thought that uh, India kind of had like had what it takes to kind of grow, develop, and become like a, a big world power. 
Yeah, I, I like listen. If you look at India from five years ago to today, it's it's completely different in terms of geopolitical strength. And I think if you look at it five years from now, ten years from now, from where it is today, you're going to see a much much stronger India. I mean, the economy is growing; it's surging. The the sort of the first center right government they've ever had is having success. Um, you know, you know, pushing the country forward. Um, this is sort of the 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 old thing is like yeah, if you want a um, a major hedge against China, you're going to need India, right? There's there's like right. So one of the things we one of the lessons we should have learned from the pandemic um, is we can't have our manufacturing, our medical manufacturing in China. Now there's other things, and they lied about this and they lied about that, and a lot of it is BS. And like I'm with you, like it came from a lab in Wuhan, China. Blah 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 blah. But sure, yeah. If there is a real medical emergency, right, something that actually is killing people, right, you're gonna want to have a major manufacturing base in an ally country. You can't have the CCP have leverage over the West by yeah. saying, okay, <laughs> right, you need medical supplies there. So the need for India to be an ally of the West is quite strong. And they're distrustful of America, to, to say the least. Now, they're not, they're very clear. If you listen to the foreign minister, they all say, mm-hmm. India is not Western. It's not a Western country, but it's not anti-Western. And they have no disillusions about China. They know China is not their friend. They have border skirmishes with them all the time. They understand the threat of radical Islam. They take missiles from Pakistan on the daily. Um, they have the Mumbai attacks. So they are primed to come into, let's say, not our sphere of influence, but to be a respected partner of the West. And I think that's going to be important um, to secure trade and our geopolitical future and all that. So I would highly advise people to pay attention to Indian politics over the next few years, because in 10 years from now, you could be saying, well, America, Russia, like, I think America will still be number one. But that number two slot of like, you know, you have S tier as America, A tier as Russia and China. I think India will go from, you know, B plus where it is now to A tier um, in terms of geopolitical strength. And yeah, if you want to hedge against China, if you want a manufacturing base, if you want trade, if you want a geopolitical partner in a lot of this, you're going to have to start to pay attention to uh, the Indian market. Okay. And then do you feel like the people, like the Indians themselves, I mean, they're trying to become kind of like more efficient, more effective at what they do, because uh, more from like a cultural perspective too, because I mean, like Chinese people are very like, I mean, from my, from my experience with them, focus, kind of get things done, work, and Indian people are like more like enjoy life type of people. Well, so that's kind of my only hesitation from like being like fully on with India from a really financial perspective, like from a, a growth. Oh, no, no. India, India is a very hardworking, education focused country um, and high productivity. Okay. Like I have a lot of Indian friends I've made who are like, yeah, I, I used to work 18 hour days and, uh, and, and, you know, started three companies and then I sold them. And now I do like now they're in the media and, and all this, like India is, is a, is a hardworking country, maybe not to the levels of like China, where it's like gun to your head, work in this factory for 50 hours mm-hmm. straight, or else we send your family off to a, to a re-education camp. But um, in, you know, India is culturally different than Brazil when it comes to work ethic. Um, I, I can say that much for sure. So I... Okay. In I, a positive I, direction. In a positive direction, right? Brazil, which is like, let's yeah. take a nap and then dance around. Um, India is more mm-hmm. like, let's go to work and make money. And, and and you know, um, you know, I want my kids to be okay. a doctor, lawyer, engineer, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, hey, thanks. Thanks. And Danny, thanks again for uh, taking this uh, geopolitical turn 
for a little belly mail. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I generally go when the times. I mean, I had James actually booked for months. It just happened that this is. I wanted to talk to him about uh, the Oklahoma City stuff, but it just didn't seem like that was the thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, not right now. But uh, all right, thanks, man. All right, have a good one. All right, we're going to take a couple more callers and then wrap this bad boy up. Thank you again, Daniel Boardman. I appreciate you very much. Hold on. Uh, hello. What's up, Danny? Goob, how you doing, man? One sec while we patch you through. And you're on with Daniel Boardman. Go ahead, Goob. Awesome. So uh, I wanted to add a fight to the docket, Danny. Let's go. To which docket? I'll, I'll fight this guy. You're going to fight Daniel? This guy sucks, dude. What do you, what do you yeah. mean? Yeah. He just keeps, uh, you know, let me let me put it in context for you. Do you have a, you have a question uh, for him? Israel's, no, I just think he sucks, man. I mean, that's the not really that, constructive. Uh, the Jews can do absolutely no wrong. I don't think and, he said, did he say and that? everything that the Hamas does is pure evil, and it's this purely black and white conflict. He's been saying that the whole time. Like, he completely dismissed Israeli bombing the hospital. He goes, oh, it was only 80 beds, so it's no big deal. No, but he didn't like, say it was no big deal. I don't think, man. I mean, I don't, Goob, first of all, I don't think he said that. He did say it's 80 beds, but I don't think he was dismissing I it. I said as, 80 beds in the context for people reporting 1,000 casualties immediately. Yeah. yeah. Skeptic. I don't know, man. He, uh, he seems to be dismissing, like... Every time he goes, oh, let me put it in context. He just dismisses anything evil the Jews do, and he's re- he has repeatedly said, the- "What do you mean the Jews?" It's very like, you mean the Israelis. You mean the Israelis? That- the evil Jews. Yes, it seems. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a point? Yes. Do you have an example? Uh, all right, good. We're gonna let you. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I hung up on him. I don't know. Gen- right. Generally, I like it to be a little more, uh, a little more cordial. Uh, Hold on, we're going to take another call. You know what? I think I accidentally... Hold on a second. Oh, whoops. All right. Someone called, but I, I inadvertently uh, hung up on them. So, anyways. All right, well, you know what? We're, we're going to wrap the show up very, very shortly. Daniel, uh, where can people find you? Well, hold on. I, I fucked up. I did something I don't think I can hear him. Hold on a second. What did I do here? Whoops. What did I do? Wait, hold... can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Daniel, do we still you. have you? Hold on a second. Uh, join. Yeah, I got you back. Oh, there we go. Sorry, I think I fucking I fucked something oh, okay. up. Uh, go ahead. We good? Okay. Um, I want to be a little bit more productive than the last guy. <laughs> uh, when it comes to uh, uh, specifically Netanyahu and the Likud's uh, involvement with the Hamas uh, organiz- terrorist organization. Um, so if I could just read uh, one quote from Haharetz that was uh, reported back in 2019, um, quote, anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. Netanyahu told his Likud party Knesset members in March 2019, quote, this is part of our strategy, unquote. What do you think about that? So I'm, I'm not sure the context of the quote. I would say, you know, it sounds bad. I mean, Netanyahu has a history of, of sort of being a bit inside baseball jokes, we'll say, um, to like, there's, listen, there's there's a possibility this is a general leaked cabinet thing, and I just, I'm unaware of it. And there's another possibility where it's him saying, 
listen, if you want to undermine the Palestinian people, give money to Hamas to make a wider point that, you know, Hamas is the problem to the Palestinian people and it's the main obstacle to peace. So I'm not sure in which context he said that quote. Did he say it is like, you know, sort of a humorous dig at Hamas to make a wider point? I don't know. Is this actually like, hey, the Israeli government is propping up Hamas to use as a boogeyman? Maybe. Um, well, I, I'd the context to... is, yeah. quote, this is part of our strategy, unquote. That's that is something that I've been seeing. I've seen going around, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that's um, the craziest thing to believe, that, you know, the, as a strategic thing that that might be something they did thinking, you know, that would work to his benefit, but yeah, I would say it's it's a short-sighted bad idea to to send money into Hamas. I mean, listen, are are Israelis making government making power plays for for personal gain over the good of the population, like every other government? Yeah, probably. I mean, statistically, it's it's more than likely. Um, you know, is is there a a definitive link between the you know, Likud funding and Hamas that we found? I mean, to me, that's such a high risk because in Israeli society, if you're found to have done this, like hard, like evidence, like, is, listen, if you're sending Israeli taxpayer dollars to Hamas and you're Benjamin Netanyahu, your career's over. If if that's it's so, like, I, I I know enough about Israeli society to say that will never fly, right? If that's that's such a high level of treason to many people that it would destroy him. So, is Haaretz as they they're the the left wing publication there? Yeah, Haaretz is very left wing. Yeah, oh, okay. they they publish a lot of stuff that yeah. I don't like. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. What about the Jerusalem Post? Netanyahu money to Hamas part of strategy to keep Palestinians divided. Quote: Now that we are supervising, we know it's going to humanitarian causes. Unquote. Yeah, I mean, it seems like something. It seems like, from a strategic standpoint, it doesn't seem like the craziest thing to do. Like, and yeah, okay. Now they talk about aid. I think there could be in the context of not we're giving money to Hamas, but we're letting the international community fund Hamas. Because again, we Canada, we give lots of money. Like Canada, you know, we're going to give ten million dollars to Gaza, uh, not to Hamas, but to our trusted partners in the government of Hamas. Right? This is Trudeau speak. So. You know, I think this is I think this is naive if uh, from Netanyahu and I'm not saying you're making it up, but what it sounds like here is it looks like Netanyahu is letting the international community fund Hamas for cynical personal political gain. Because he's a criminal terrorist. All right. Uh, I'll let the next caller get in. Have a good night. Thanks, buddy. Um, all right, that, hold on, all right, we're going to, okay, yeah, so let, let people know where you're fine, we have a few more minutes, uh, of the show, let people know where they can, uh, find you, sir. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I exist under my name, so Dana Borman, it's a ranting for Canada on Twitter, but you know my name, I have an Instagram, YouTube, uh, I co-founded the National Telegraph, so do independent media in Canada, so the National Telegraph. My name. If it's my name and my face, that's me. That's you. And okay. We're, we're, cool. Uh, all right. We're going to take the last call of the night. Uh, one sec, please. Uh, hello. Can you hear me? Hey, what's up? Uh, one second while we patch you through. And all right, you're on. Last call of the night. Go ahead. Oh, hey, this is Travis Nasty. This is actually, might, it might be a vague kind of question, but I was wondering with Daniel, what do you think about Trump and all this? 
he was on speaking terms with both Isra the Israeli government and the Saudi Arabian government. Oh, thank you for asking. This is a great question to end on. If Donald Trump was president right now, this would not have happened. Donald Trump got foreign policy right. Okay. An important part of foreign policy is you have to have your own country's interests first, right? But not like the people who claim to be America first, Nick Fuentes. That's isolation. No. America first is priority. Ally second, you must fight your enemies and then take care of, you know, interests around the world. Like this is standard. Donald Trump was very, very good at keeping the Islamic Republic at bay. He had them under sanction. He had them under pressure. He had them know that if they moved a muscle, he would smack them. So he kept them at bay. He, the, the global terrorism funding from the Islamic Republic decreased. Hamas and Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, all of them were under resource crunches and didn't have the capabilities to, to launch full-scale um, uh, you know, jihads as, as, as they will. So Trump understood foreign policy. The countries that are openly hostile towards you, you have to combat them. Obama and Biden had the exact opposite thing. They have the I can hug the terrorism away mentality, where Obama took the, the Islamic Republic was on his knees for under sanctions. They were starting to term this thing called heroic flexibility, where they were going to give into American demands. And then Obama released a bunch of money and let them off the hook, and then they became more radical. And then he gave them a bunch of money for the JCPOA, and they became more radical, and Yemen burned because of it. And then Biden came in and released even more money to the Islamic Republic of Iran, and the world is now burning because of it, right? And it's not just the money, the six billion, there's also loosening all the sanctions and allowing them to basically funnel mo oil money through Venezuela. And while he's destroying American energy and, uh, and economic independence on our energy, which is another good thing Trump did in foreign policy, energy is very important to foreign policy. Um, he's basically allowed the Islamic Republic of Iran to, you know, insert itself into the global energy supply unabated and empowered them to use this money to finance terrorism and chaos. So had Trump been president right now, those 1400 Israelis would still be alive. I, I believe that to be the one hundred percent true. Yeah, seems probably like I mean his unpredictability. I, I think was a pretty big. Uh, big yeah, he was. He's not perfect. His... No, but he, you're right. It's the sort of. But he, he had is. this sort of tit for tat mentality. When when people cooperated with Trump, he cooperated with them. When people opposed Trump, he opposed them. That's actually pretty good foreign policy for how simple it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of academics get wound up in all these crazy philosophies and and don't understand these countries. Um, and the Trump. Uh, the Trump philosophy was clearly better in my approach to foreign policy. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, go, the go-to meme is we traded uh, we traded mean tweets for World War Three. I know it's not that simple, but seems that simple. All right. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. That's been the show, everybody. Did you get all your plugs in, Daniel? Everybody knows where they can find you. Yeah, Ranty, for, Ranty for Canada on Twitter. Yeah. They can find you everywhere else. There. Go check out. Uh, was it the National Telegraph? The National Telegraph. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Shout out to James Corbett in the first half. If you guys are in and around Saratoga Springs uh, this weekend, come check me out. Support the show. Patreon.com slash low value bail. New episode of The Bathhouse tomorrow night, 1030. See you all soon. Good night, everybody. Feel this here if you up or if you hurt.
I'm raising my stock, not talking my feet in some Birkin. Number Johnny Five got a fucking short circuit. Bring the track to life when I spit phenomenal. When I hit, she feel that shit in her abdominals. These rappers make me laugh like comic, be the comic group. You know I got a ball out, I hit the track running just like Sonic do. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Yeah. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Yeah. And they tried to down me up some KO type shit. Yeah. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Yeah. Now we pulling up fresh on some flight shit. Ah. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Yeah. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Uh. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Yeah. They was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Yeah. Then they tried to down me up some KO type shit. Yeah. They don't want to turn on my light switch. Yeah.